All right, good morning. Um, like Corey said, um, for those who I have not gotten to uh, meet before, my name is Rachel. I'm his wife, and I am the first lady here at Third Street. Uh, <laughs> one day I will fulfill Rev's greatest wish, and I will wear a church hat. It will happen at some point. I will do that for you, Rev. Uh, right now, we are in week two of our series called Go to the Source. If you were here last week or you caught up online, you got to hear KT. He gave a word on going to the source of truth. He talked to us about going to scripture instead of going to other places to discover what God's word says. And this week, we are going to be looking at going to the source of life. Going to the source of life. And uh, when Corey told me that that's what he wanted to be discussed this morning, I could think of no better passage than John chapter 4. And if you know me, you know that the nameless women in scripture are my absolute favorite thing in the world. So of course we are talking about a nameless woman this morning. We are going to be talking about the story of the woman at the well. So if you have your Bibles, go with me now to John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to do things a little bit differently today where we're only going to read a little bit at a time. So right now we're going to read verses 1 through 9. If you don't have your Bible, feel free to look up on the screens. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist that he's talking about. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews, refused to have anything to do with Samaritans, and she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, something we talk about all the time here at Third Street is the dangers of casual reading. The dangers of casual reading would go through this passage and say, Jesus had to go somewhere, he got tired, he sat at a well, he asked for a drink. What's weird about that, right? But when you dive a little deeper and when you look in the context that this was written, you would know that in verse 4 where it says had to in the original language, that doesn't mean that he had to go because geographically you had to go. There's a hundred different ways. It had to right there in the original language implies that God told Jesus, I need you to go through Samaria while you're on your way. Verse 6, it says that this was at noon. Casual reading would just blow right past that, like, okay, it might have been lunchtime. But if you look into the context, you know that the women, when they went to the well, they went in the morning and they went in the evening because that was the coolest time of day. But this woman was going at noon because she was trying to avoid people. So we know she's an outcast. In verse 8, it says that Jesus was alone. Whoop-de-doo, right? It just told us his disciples went to go get lunch and Jesus was just chilling by himself, right? No, a Jewish man would never 
speak to a woman, specifically a Samaritan woman, alone because they would be living above reproach. So if you're not my wife, I'm not going to talk to you. But where we're going to sit, where we're going to sit and dive into some non-casual reading is verse 9. In verse 9, it says that the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Right, so I've, we've heard that before. If you grew up in church, you've heard that before. And it even told us in this passage, Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. But see, that didn't sit right with me. Because all through these first nine verses, it's talking about Jacob's well. And the land that Jacob gave his son Joseph. But if Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans, then what business do the Jews have having Jacob's well and the land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph? Because Jacob, do you know what Jacob's name got changed to in the Old Testament? Israel. Israel. So the Samaritans own Israel's well. And they own Israel's land that was given to Joseph who was one of Jacob's sons. And so that struck me different when I was reading this this time. And I'm like, how on earth did the Jews come to hate the Samaritans who own their land? How did the Jews, or how did the Samaritans come to own something that belonged to Israel? Right? And, and why are they hated over it? You would think, hey, the father of all 12 tribes, because Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes. And so when you hear about the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin and all these different tribes in the New Testament, those were the sons of Jacob, whose name was Israel. And so how, how did they come to own this? I had to ask that question. And if you know me, you know that I was not letting that go until I found the answer to that question because this is for free. Ask questions. The Bible will always prove itself to you. I make it prove itself to me all the time because I don't let things go. And so I found the answer. You see, if you go diving into this, you'll find that in 2 Kings 17, which is around 722 BC, which means 750 years before this encounter at the well. 750 years before this encounter at the well. Israel, Jacob's sons, Jacob's family, his descendants, found themselves in a situation. You see, when you look through 2 Kings 17, one of the first verses in that passage says that Israel's kings were evil. Israel went to God a while back, and they said, we want kings. And God said, you don't need kings. You don't need to be like everybody around you. And they said, but we want kings because they have kings, and we are children, and I like their toys, and so I want toys like theirs. And so God said, fine, have a king. And then their kings became evil. And so Israel had evil kings. And the Israelites started worshiping other gods. Because they said, well, the gods of all these people around us, they look kind of cool. And I like that cow. It's gold. And I want a gold cow too, God. 
you don't look like a gold cow. I want one. So they made one because they liked culture better than God. And if you go through 2 Kings 17, it's verse after verse after verse of God told the Israelites to do this, and they said, no. God gave this warning, and they said, eh, we'll see if you follow through on that. And so all through that whole chapter, it's time after time after time of God trying everything to get the Israelites to turn around, and they just kept ignoring him. And you know what happened? The very greed and the idolatry that they liked more than God became the thing that tore them apart. And so they lost a war to Assyria. If you were in our huddles, this might sound a little bit familiar because this is all exactly what was happening during the book of Daniel, which we studied last summer. So Assyria, Assyria won a war over Israel, and they took over northern Israel, which is Samaria. And so the Jews lost their territory by their own doing. So Assyria takes over, and then what the, kings of Assyria, or the king of Assyria does is he says, I'm actually going to bring in a whole bunch of other people and plop them on this land. And I'm going to hope that they take over the Jews. Because these Jews are clearly weak, so they're not going to hang on to their culture. They're going to start marrying all these other people. They're going to start worshiping all these other gods. And it's going to be fine. And that is precisely what happens. But because God is gracious, he's, he makes it so that Israel gets to keep one priest to continue teaching the ways of God. And so, 750 years later, there is a woman at a well who had nothing to do with any of that situation. There is a whole people group who is living in a land that their ancestors were drugged to, and they are being hated for inhabiting a land that they never wanted to go to in the first place. I'm sure we can't imagine facing the repercussions of our ancestors doing some really shady crap, and then we just for no reason hate people who are just living their lives in a land they didn't want to be at in the first place, right? I'm sure we can't imagine that kind of stuff today, right? That's what's happening. That's how Samaria ended up with this well. That's how Samaria ended up with Israel's heritage. That's how they ended up worshiping the exact same God. Because God in his grace made it so. And 750 years later, God is making himself known through the person of Jesus because all the other ways he had made himself known, Israel was ignoring it. And so, point number one for the day, the source of life has been there the whole time. Where have you been? Throughout that whole 750 years, God never left. 
When Israel was turning away, God was constantly being gracious and offering things that they didn't deserve. He never left. Israel was ignoring him. Where in your life are you being stubborn and ignoring the source? What, what specifically have you been going to God about, but the solution that he's offering isn't quite what you wanted, so you're ignoring it? What sources are you going to instead of God? Because we all do it. It's a lot easier to say in scripture because it's not us, right? But we all do it. And this woman at the well, she gives us a great example of how to respond when the source is right in front of you. So let's keep going. Let's go to verse 10 in John chapter 4. It says, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you are greater than our ancestor, Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them and gives them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and then I will never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. It's quite a turn. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. So you certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So in this moment, at the very beginning of what we just read, she establishes a common ground. 
and she communicates with Jesus, hey, I know Jewish history. She says, our ancestor, Jacob. And so in that moment, she's communicating with Jesus. Hey, we've already established that you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, and we aren't really supposed to talk. But as long as you're here and you're being nice, like just so you know, I know that we share the same ancestors. She's saying, I know what you've been taught, and I believe it. And then she asks questions. She asks a lot of questions, but her posture is one of curiosity. It's not of judgment. Anybody in here watch Ted Lasso? Yes. Okay. I love Ted Lasso. So there is this scene in Ted Lasso where there's a guy who's he's, he's had a hard time with going back and forth, and they're playing darts. And when they're playing darts, Ted Lasso misses the first few darts that he throws. And the guy automatically judges him. Because if you watch the show, you see that Ted, he comes off like a little bit nerdy. He's so kind that you automatically assume you can take advantage of him, is, is the way they portray him in this show. And so the guy that he's playing against is like, oh, okay. And puts a there's a huge wager on this game. And Ted Lasso, on like the second or third dart, just like throws this dart and hits it dead center right on the bullseye. And the guy looks at him like, is that real or is that luck? And Ted's like, you made a judgment call about me. You didn't ask any questions about me. You weren't curious. You were judgmental. And because you were judgmental, you missed something so important about who I am. And that's that I played darts every Sunday growing up with my father. And then he throws it again and hits another ball. It's amazing. Great scene. But anyways, the point, curiosity and judgment are extremely different things. They're extremely different postures. See, the woman at the well could have said, who do you think you are? You think you're better than Jacob? But what she said was, who are you? Can you offer something better? See, there's two different ways to make that statement, she was curious. She was not judgmental. And so then in verse 15, because she's listened to what he had to say, she said, I want what you're offering. And then what Jesus does is he leads her to confession. When he says, go get your husband, he's not mocking her and he's not judging her situation. He's giving her the opportunity to be honest about the place that she is coming from. Yes. And then I've heard it said about this passage that she, when she asked the question about worship, she's deflecting because she's uncomfortable. But as a woman who has had unhealthy relationships, what she did, I wholeheartedly believe, was say, I'm not giving any more time of my life to those five ex-husbands. I can tell you're a prophet, and I want to use this time worthwhile. And so she confesses, she says, yeah, I'm not married. He makes that statement, and then she says, I know that you are a powerful man. So let me ask you this question that I have been wondering my whole life. Why do you Jews say this? And why do you say that our worship isn't the same? And why do you say that it's not good enough? She asks a huge question. And then in response, Jesus gives her so much more. 
He reveals that he is the Messiah. And Jesus has not, in many instances up to this point, in any of the Gospels, if you lay them all chronologically, up to this point, he has not told many people that he's the Messiah. So why this woman? Why a Samaritan? Why at this well? Because in this one instance, in this one reveal, Jesus is combating the racism, the sexism, and the elitism of culture. Jesus looks at this woman and says, I know that you are just living in the place where you were born. I know that you were born a woman and you have been told that you are so much less. I know that you've had five husbands and I also know that women don't get to choose that in that culture because women at that time were property and they were trade value and to be a woman living in your parents house who has been left by your husband there is no worse lot in life at that moment she did not choose to have five husbands she was stuck in a cultural situation where it had to happen and so he says i know that you've been traded around your entire life i know that you have been left repeatedly and that men could leave their husbands for any number of or when men could leave their wives for any number of reason in that culture and you had no say and i know that cultural elitism is a huge issue and so i the messiah am going to say that racism sexism and elitism has no place in my kingdom and so she fires off question after question because she sees the opportunity at hand. And so point number two, get to know the source. Get to know the source. She didn't make that moment about anyone else. When Jesus said, go get your husband, and then he said, you've had five, she could have run those men through the ringer. She could have sat at his feet and been like, you don't know what I've been through, and then just complained endlessly about all of these terrible husbands. And then she could have explained why she was at the well at noon and been like, these women look down on me, and I have been treated so horribly, and so that's why I'm here at noon, and I'm such a loner, Jesus, and she didn't do any of that. She said, I am standing in front of a man who I know is a great man, and I want to ask you these questions and make use of this time. When the opportunity presents itself, what is your response? What do you do with the time that you have been given? When you are invited into something, do you show up? When you are invited to be a part of something that is going to take you closer to God, do you do everything that you can to engage in it? Do you, do you show up? Do you say yes? 
when the Bible app sends you that notification at the end of the day and is like, hey, here's the verse of the day, do you read it and then swipe it off or do you tap it and get to know the source? Something so simple. And I say that because I was really guilty of that and I got super convicted by that this week. Um, do, but do you, take, do you take those little opportunities? Do you show up? Do you go to your huddle or did you go the first day and then be like, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it'll work, it might be, um, I have this better offer to go to Applebee's, I don't know, Applebee's is never a better offer. Uh, <laughs> go somewhere better than Applebee's. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I loved it when I was younger. Now that I have to get a babysitter, I'm not getting a babysitter for Applebee's. Uh, <laughs> I'm so far off right now. Uh, <laughs> anyways, are you getting to know scripture? Are you getting to know the source? Are you asking questions? Because let me get this real serious for a second and say, if you are giving more no's than you are yeses, you are turning down your opportunity to get to know who God is is and let me go let me poke the bear just like a little bit more on that and say that if you're giving more no's and you're not taking the time to get to know god you don't get to complain about god you don't get to complain about him about his church about any of that if you're not taking the time to show up and to get to know scripture because you've probably been asking for something and God's probably been answering but because you're not reading your Bible you don't know how God responds and so you're missing the responses and if you're getting emails or you're getting invitations but you bypass them every time then you probably don't know that it took so long for your church to regather because nobody was willing to volunteer so they couldn't reopen. Oh, sorry, I'm gonna get in trouble for that one. Um, but seriously, if you're not taking the time to get to know the source and you're not taking the time to get to know the church, then you don't get to be mad at it because you're not putting the effort in. All right, let's keep going before I get in trouble. Uh, go to verse 27. Let's see the last section of this. It says, just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be? the Messiah, and so the people came streaming to the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked, I'm positive that was Thomas. Every time it's questioned like that, I'm positive that's Thomas. Uh, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. And so while this woman is undergoing a crazy spiritual awakening, the disciples are just like, Jesus, do you need a snack? 
because you're acting a little bit weird. It makes me think of those Snickers commercials where they're like, hungry, you're not acting like yourself. Like, I feel like that's what the disciples were doing <laughs> at that moment. They're not concerned with the fact that this woman just had the Messiah revealed to her and is for the first time ever taking the gospel to a brand new nation. They're like, Jesus, you got to be hungry. And see, it's, it's recorded right here that they just couldn't understand. But what we know about the disciples is that Jesus had revealed himself to all of them. We know that Jesus had called them to follow him, which made him their rabbi, their teacher. So they have the open ground to just ask all the questions they want. But they chose not to do it. Instead of taking their cue from Jesus, they were taking their cue from culture. Instead of seeing what Jesus was doing and offering their curiosity and saying, hey, what are you doing talking to that woman? Yeah. Track record of Jesus says he probably would have told them why he chose to talk to her, but instead they were just like, hey, you hungry? They had the opportunity. And instead, they looked to the world around them instead of looking to Jesus to see how they should handle that situation. And so our third and final point for the day is who are you taking your cues from? Do you let culture dictate your view and response of the world around you? Or do you let Jesus do that? Do you let your boss, your office, your coworkers, your family, your parents, your spouse, your kids, the other people sitting on the sidelines with you, do you let all of them dictate how you view the world? Or do you let Jesus do that? Do you let the person that you are dating dictate it because you value that relationship so highly? You, I can't possibly lose this. I've worked so hard to get this relationship. I can't push back on that because they'll leave. Well, let me tell you, if it's that fickle, it wasn't going to last. Are you letting the people around you tell you what you care about and how to respond to it? Or are you looking to Jesus to do that. The source of life that we are to go to has never been hidden from us. It's been here, the very first verse in all of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, says the Spirit was hovering. The Spirit of God was hovering over the earth. The Spirit of God was present then and the Spirit of God is present now. It's never, ever been hiding. The question is, where have we been? Are we getting to know the source? And who are we taking our cues from? 